If you're tuning into this podcast, it shows you care a great deal about your child's health. So I want to share with you my video course on nutrient supplementation for children that I just published on udemy.com. If you check the description of this episode for the link to my website where you can sign up to my mailing list, as soon as you sign up, I'm going to send you a voucher so that you can get this video course for free. And in the course, I'm going to discuss the most important supplements for children and how to pick quality supplements, how to avoid poor quality ingredients, how to avoid potentially harmful extra ingredients, and basically how to steer clear of the marketing ploys designed to sell us inferior quality supplements. So I hope that you get value out of this course. I'm sure that if you apply the knowledge you learn in it, you will save not just time researching these supplements, but also money. And most importantly, you will get the best quality supplements that your budget will allow so that you can provide your child with the nutritional support that they need. So check out the description for the link to my website where you can sign up to my mailing list. And as I said, as soon as you sign up, I'll send you the the coupon to get the course for free. And if you do sign up, please let me know how you find it. If there's any other information you would like me to include or any other feedback, I would be very grateful if you could send me that. Thank you. In this episode, I'll talk to you a little bit about mitochondrial dysfunction and its relevance in autism. So if you don't remember from biology class in high school, mitochondria are the tiny little organelles inside our cells that are responsible for producing most of the energy in the body. They do this by oxidizing or burning glucose and fatty acids to produce a chemical known as ATP, adenosine triphosphate. That's the molecule that we use to carry energy in the body, right? So depending on the type of cell, there's, you know, a few hundred to a couple of thousand of mitochondria in them. And generally cells that have higher energy demands, such as those in the brain, the gut, and the muscles have more mitochondria than cells that do not have such high energy demands, a skin cell, for example. So what's the relevance with autism? So here's a a quote from a study I cite in my book. Individuals with ASD who also have mitochondrial dysfunction are reported to have more severe behavioral and cognitive disabilities and are prone to neurodevelopmental regression compared to those with ASD without mitochondrial dysfunction. So basically the research is increasingly showing that a large subset of autistic individuals, not just children, have abnormalities in mitochondrial function. So this is actually one of the most prevalent metabolic disturbances in autism, right? And basically when the mitochondria are dysfunctional in any way, it impedes our body's ability to create energy. And as you can imagine, an inability to create energy can lead to all manner of problems in the body. So if it's a gut cell, it can do its function. If it's a brain cell, it can do its function. If it's a muscle cell, it can do its function. And this can this can manifest as behavioral, physical symptoms. So there's a couple of types of mitochondrial dysfunction, primary and secondary. So 
primary mitochondrial dysfunction. This refers to usually it's some type of genetic defect in the genes in the mitochondria. So this is also classified as mitochondrial disease in the medical world. And it's a lot less common than the secondary mitochondrial dysfunction. This basically refers to metabolic or genetic abnormalities outside the mitochondria that impair the ability of the mitochondria to produce energy. Now this secondary mitochondrial dysfunction, this is the one that's more common and it has a number of various factors that can cause it or contribute to it. And as you'll see in a second, you know, a lot of them are very prevalent in the modern world, but also you have a lot of control over them. So here's another study I cite in my book and a quote from it. Thus, in individuals with disorders of mitochondrial function, their most affected body organs and systems are those that have the highest energy demand, including the central and peripheral nervous system, gastrointestinal tract, muscles, and immune system. Interestingly, these are some of the same organs and systems commonly affected in children with ASD. So, what that basically means is, if your child has mitochondrial dysfunction due to any number of reasons that I'll touch on in a second, their first systems to be affected are most likely the ones that have highest energy demand, and that's the brain, the gut, the nervous system, the immune system, the muscles. So other consequences of mitochondrial dysfunction include impairments in the detoxification systems. Generally, it means a decreased ability to clear out toxins, heavy metals, chemicals, bacterial, metabolites, things like that. Impairment of the gut and blood-brain barriers. And when these barriers are impaired, it can allow, again, toxins of various kinds to get into the bloodstream or into the brain and central nervous system. It can also cause increases in oxidative stress, which can damage the cell. It can further impair the mitochondria. This can cause a vicious cycle. And there's various other um, negative effects that I cover in the book if you're interested. But the most important thing I think to take away from this episode is what actually contributes to mitochondrial dysfunction because if you can figure out what contributes to mitochondrial dysfunction and it's something that is affecting your child you can do something about it so basically the mitochondria are highly sensitive to external and internal toxins and stressors of various kinds so heavy metals chemicals medications an increase in immune activation due to, let's say, an infection, for example, and various other metabolic disturbances. Now, a thing to know about the mitochondria is that they cannot make the most important antioxidant in the body, called glutathione, they cannot make it by themselves. So they are dependent on this antioxidant to be manufactured in the cell. Now, if your child has an increased toxic burden, their glutathione or antioxidant glutathione can start getting depleted and this can cause the mitochondria to be impacted. So, 
the following factors can impair mitochondrial function or increase their vulnerability to damage. So malnutrition, things like vitamin B6 deficiency, folate deficiency, coenzyme Q10 deficiency, and iron deficiency. These can contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. As I already mentioned, a depletion of the antioxidant glutathione can contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. Oxidative stress, which is a, a state in the body where the body cannot balance the damaging factors called reactive oxygen species or free radicals, you may have heard of them. So there's a balance that the body needs to keep. And when there's too many free radicals, just to kind of keep it simple, and the body cannot deal with them, it's called a state of oxidative stress. And when that can damage the mitochondria, can impair their function. So as I already mentioned, heavy metals and chemicals can contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. Things like pesticides, PCBs, and mercury, aluminum, these, these kind of things. Very prevalent in the environment, of course, in the diet as well. Certain medications can also contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. Antibiotics, proton pump inhibitors, which, you know, they're not really common. Children don't take proton pump inhibitors that often, but things like valproic acid, some autistic children are prescribed that, and acetaminophen can also cause or contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. So, oh, one more to add is inflammation caused by the immune system. So when the immune system is overactive, this can also cause or contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. So a lot of, as you can see, a lot of these factors you have a certain degree of control over them. So reducing heavy metals and chemicals in your child's environment and diet, so sticking to organic foods only, filtering your tap water, for example, reducing exposure to heavy metals, so cleaning up the environment. I haven't done an episode on cleaning up the environment yet. I will do one very soon. But basically removing all sorts of building materials, cleaning products, things like that, that are full of harsh chemicals and in some cases, heavy metals. That's a very important step. And testing for gut infections, food sensitivities, all of these things that can activate the immune system and cause inflammation because that inflammation can contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction or damage. Okay, so what can be done? I already covered identifying and removing the contributing factors, such as toxic burden. In some cases, your child may have certain metabolic deficiencies that can contribute to mitochondrial dysfunction. So for example, carnitine deficiency, there's a blood test you can do for that. And Supporting your child's mitochondria with antioxidant and nutritional factors is also a very good idea. So what I'll do is I'll cover some of the clues, the physical clues that you can use to potentially spot or, you know, get an idea whether your child may have some type of thing that it may be mitochondrial dysfunction and it might be a good idea to investigate further with your doctor. So basically, first of all, if you have a family history of mitochondrial disease, that's already a red flag. 
I should probably, you know, talk to, to your physician about that. But in cases where there was a regression in your child's development, like a loss of skills, developmental delays, if your child has seizures, if your child has fatigue or lethargy, if your child has muscle weakness, ataxia, so that's issues with movement or coordination, motor delays, if your child has gastrointestinal abnormalities, and in more rare cases when, where there's problems with the heart, so cardiomyopathy. So the more of the above that apply to your child, the more likely it is that mitochondrial dysfunction may play a role and some investigative work on the part of your practitioner is in order, right? So if any of the above or a couple of the above apply to you, definitely talk to your doctor about running some tests. Now, some of the tests that your doctor could run include, so there's direct markers of mitochondrial dysfunction and indirect markers of mitochondrial dysfunction. And I have this listed in, in my book in the last chapter, in case you're interested. But basically, the direct markers of mitochondrial dysfunction are lactate, pyruvate, ubiquinone, alanine, and acylcarnitine. And the indirect markers are creatine kinase, carnitine, aspartate, aspartate transaminase, alanine, aminotransferase, and ammonia, right? So basically your doctor would run a blood test. And if some of the above are abnormal, they would probably need to rerun the test just to make sure that they are truly abnormalities because, you know, the human metabolism, is, it varies day to day. So if there's abnormalities on the first test, you would probably run another test in a week or so. And if there's truly abnormalities at that point, your doctor might refer you to a specialist who could run other tests. For example, mitochondrial DNA tests, urine amino acids, and in some cases, they do a skin or muscle biopsy where they take a little bit of skin or muscle and they can do further testing. Now, just to add here, those that was about blood testing now that that can be a little bit inconvenient and you know it, many many people won't go that far right to test their child for markers of mitochondrial dysfunction now i would recommend doing it if any of the physical signs and symptoms are present that i covered earlier but there's another way that you can get clues if your child has mitochondrial dysfunction and that is using the organic acids test. Now I've covered the organic acids test before and I'll continue to cover it because I strongly believe that this is the most important test that you can run for your child and the most useful one. So basically the organic acids test, it will help you ascertain whether your child has yeast and fungal overgrowth. So that's already very useful. You can also test for Clostridia bacteria overgrowth, another very useful thing because we know that yeast and bacterial overgrowths are very common in autistic children. So with this test, it's a simple urine collection at home. You can test for that. And it also tests for a few vitamin deficiencies and the antioxidant glutathione. It tests for deficiency of that. But it also has several markers that may indicate mitochondrial dysfunction. So there's 75 markers or so on the organic acids test. And 
in my book I talk about there are certain markers called lactic, pyruvic, fumaric, malic, aconitic, and three more, three methylglutaric, three methylglutaconic, and three hydroxyglutaric. So if one or more of those are elevated or out of range, it could serve as a clue that your child may have some type of mitochondrial dysfunction, right? So the great thing about that test is you can collect it at home, simple urine collection, no needles, no, no driving to a clinic, waiting and stressing out your child. You send it to the lab. Not only can you get that information that I was talking about before, you know, about the yeast and bacterial overgrowth, the vitamin deficiencies, but you can see if these markers are abnormal. And if you have like two, three that are, let's say, out of the range, that is extremely important clue that your child not only needs support in terms of antioxidants and mitochondrial cofactors such as B vitamins, carnitine, this kind of stuff, but it's an important indication that you need to go to a specialist and do the test that I covered before. So if you do see those markers out of the range, you would immediately go to your doctor before you even start supplementing extra things, right? You don't want the blood test to be skewed by, you know, adding antioxidants and mitochondrial cofactors. You want to see what the baseline state is before you start supplementing. Okay, so I think we'll wrap it up there. In the next short one, I will cover supplements that can help with mitochondrial function. So we'll keep it separate so it's more searchable in the future if you ever need to refer to it. So thank you for listening to this episode and I hope to see you on the next one.